hello. Your QL fandom uncle and auntie are here with giant sunglasses, brown liquor in a flask, a folded $5 bill to slip into your hand when nobody's looking, lukewarm takes, occasional rides on the discourse, deep dives into artistry and industry, and most importantly, simping. Lots of simping. I'm Ben. I'm Nini. And this is The Conversation. About once a season, we plan to swan in and shoot the shit on faves, flops, and trends that we've been noticing in the BL, GL, or QL industry. Between seasons, you can find us typing way too many words on Tumblr. Welcome to the Eighth Sense episode. Nini and I had so much to say about this that we decided to give it its own episode, separate from our overall consternation from whatever is going on in the land of KBL, because this felt distinct. This was a piece of work from a German and a Korean filmmaking team, and it created unique results. So we're going to speak to you all for the next hour and a half about it and then we'll come back at the end with some reactions to the show and how we're feeling about it a few months later let's go we are here today to talk about the eighth sense and only the eighth sense benjamin what is the eight cents about? See, I had her a little bit annoyed before we started talking. She used my full name because she's still mad at me for being obnoxious. The eight cents. <laughs> the eight cents is a age gap college romance between a new freshman from the Korean countryside and a very wealthy. Korean man who is the heir of his family, who's recently back from military service and trying to finish school. They kind of meet by happenstance at the freshman's job and instantly have a connection between them, which they both find themselves drawn to and pulling on. And over the course of the show, the freshman Jihan ends up joining the surfing club to hang out with Jaywon, the senior. And a romance blossoms between them, but we hit a lot of very familiar Western queer storytelling drama beats that blends fairly well with the Korean storytelling beats as these two eventually choose each other as they're trying to move forward with their lives. Much drama ensues because of the older boy's deep mental health issues. It's a really simple plot. It's just incredibly well executed. Well, let's talk a little bit about that execution. So this is a, it's a Korean production, but it's co-directed by a Korean director, Beck Inu, and a German director, Werner Duplessis. And I think that that interplay between the two filmmaking styles, between 
some of the hallmarks of Korean filmmaking and then some of the hallmarks of like classic German Bildungsroman. They interplay really interestingly, I think, in terms of the way that it's executed. A lot of people are saying that The Eight Cents made them think of Scam. I have not watched Scam, so I can't really speak to that. But in terms of certain aspects of the techniques of the filmmaking that I've seen, in terms of lighting and color and all of those things, I could see the comparisons that they're making. But I feel like this show, it's something all its own. We've talked on this show about how KBL was starting to get a little repetitive and feel like it wasn't, you know, using its time well and all those other things. And I think that those are criticisms that you can't level at the eight cents. It does use its time well. I feel like it is well thought through. I feel like it uses its budget well. I feel like it really engages me. Like, I'm not going to forget these characters. I'm not going to forget Ji Hyun, Eunji, Taehyung, Jaewon, Junpyo, Yoon-won. I'm not going to forget these characters, you know what I mean? These characters have sort of touched something inside of me, particularly Jaewon. I feel like it came along at just the right time for me to not write off KBO. <laughs> I mean, is it really KBO, though? Well, that's the question, isn't it? Because a lot of people are like, oh, this isn't this isn't BL. I think it's very firmly BL. But I don't know how much it feels like KBL. It is not relying on the tropes or beats of traditional yaoi as evolved by Thailand's fiddling with the formula. And what's recently been happening in Korea over the last three years-ish when you called it like a German coming of age thing, I can feel some of those influences here in terms of the pacing and the knowing. So one of the things that BL is not very good at doing that I don't always enjoy is BL doesn't know how to make characters always gay. Like, their queerness activates when it's relevant, because they're thinking about it now. It isn't built really into the way the character is functioning. But when you're writing queer cinema, a queer character is always queer. It is always complicating their life in some way. And that feels present here with Jihyun and Jaewon, particularly when it comes to the ways the two of them engage with each other. Jihan gets clocked constantly by everyone because he's obvious to them. Jaywan and he bump into each other at the restaurant and recognize each other, flirt outside of the restaurant. Aerie recognizes these things in him very quickly and she starts covering for him. Yunji sees this in him right away and beefs with him immediately over Jaywan. Yoon Wan, I think, picks up on it right away, which is why she's always calling him cutie. And I think the boss picks up on it too, which is why she's kind of protective of him. This works for me because he's so clearly different. And I like how he clearly had these big dreams about, I'm going to move to the city and I'm going to live my best gay life. And then he moved to the city and got scared because it's such a big place with all these strangers and it's confusing because he's not used to dealing with urban systems. 
And so, like, he immediately retreated a little bit. He just picked up a job so he would only have to deal with one person because, like, a one-woman operation and, like, the freshman temp worker she's relying on. And I think that's one of the big things that separates it for me with most of the BL we've experienced. Like, Jihyun always feels gay. For me, in the way that Jihyun is very protective of himself, but very honest in general. Like, Jihyun doesn't offer himself up easily to other people, but he's consistently honest and forthright with them. And, like, after his big old incident, where he almost dies, like, calling it the incident, (laughs) he turns really sassy, but he's still being honest. He's just not tempering that. And also, he's a little bit pissy, because he has a right to be. So, like, that's the biggest, I think line between like bl per se and what we might call queer cinema when i'm watching them like their queerness is not active only when they're flirting like other bl characters often feel for me Hmm. that's something to ponder it is clear that jihyun does get clocked pretty regularly you know i always have a soft spot for the ones who can't hide and uh, so I can get, like, why the boss is protective of him, why Junpyo is protective of him. Like, even though Junpyo doesn't really know, he knows something, but he doesn't really know that Jihyun is queer. And it's this really funny scene when he finds out in the end. And he's just really upset that, you know, Jihyun didn't tell him that he had a boyfriend. Jihyun feels recognizably queer in some intangible way, like... I think about my gay friends and my gay family and uh, that thing that you said about a person who is gay being gay all the time and not just when they're flirting with somebody, that really resonated. (laughs) (laughs) That really resonated and I think is also a little bit of shots fired for some of BL. I don't know that I want to fire shots at the other dramas in this regard because it's not fair. Because some of these things are intangible. You can't really always do them really well or correctly. It's not like I have like obvious guidance. Like, hey, here are the five tips <laughs> to make your character <laughs> seem authentically queer when you're writing your little stories. <laughs> and like, that's not fair. What I can do as an amateur critic is point out that this character reads queer to me from... The little gay rainbow lamp he has to the way he had big dreams for the city, but then feels a little bit disappointed about it to the way he sees a really hot boy and immediately decides to do to join a dangerous club just to get some dick. Like, that's the kind of dumb shit (laughs) that baby gays do. Like, can you swim? No. So you join the (laughs) surfing club? Was was the dick even that good? Yeah. All right, well, shit. (laughs) The man said that before he nearly died, he was the happiest he had ever been in his life. He literally said that. This poor boy's whole brain got rearranged by some good dick. God damn. Our other protagonist is J1. J1 is a poor little rich boy. He's a tragic figure with a tragic past. He's a sad little meow meow. He really is the saddest little meow meow. It's up in the air whether he's closeted or not. I don't feel like he is, but I also feel like he doesn't advertise. 
Because it doesn't feel like any of his angst about Jihyun is about the idea of him dating a guy. It doesn't feel that way. Jaywon feels therapized. He definitely is aware of his queerness and seems mostly inconvenienced by it. His father is described as aggressive. And there's all of these pressures on him to be a certain kind of man and a certain kind of son. Like they get mad about how emotional he is. They get mad that he's out drinking with his friends. So he's definitely been forced to be closeted about it. So I think he is definitely aware of it. And the reason why I think he's aware of it is Jihyun calls him out on it in the last episode. when he's like, you had a lighter in your pocket the first night you met me. It's not that I feel like he doesn't know himself. Like he knows himself. I think that much is clearly obvious in the story. He knows himself. The question is whether the people around him know. I feel like Inji definitely knows. That's why she's so in one of the reasons she's so immediately hostile to Jihyun, because she knows. She knows, but I don't think he's told her. He just feels really modern about it. Like, yes, he's gay. If you asked him directly, he'd probably just shrug and be like, yeah, sure, whatever. But people aren't going to ask him that. They don't want to cross that line because they want to use him. And trying to embarrass him about that is just going to get you iced out of his life. Again, like we know that the surfing dudes hadn't really considered it because they're like, no, Jaywon's not that way. That's also like the men, though. Like every single girl in this story clocked every single gay boy the whole time. The boss, Yunji, Ri, Yunwan all clocked Jaywon and Jihyun. And Jaywon didn't even know about it because Yunwan was like, you better do right by that boy. He's like, what are you talking about? And she was like, girl. And he was like, all right. <laughs> J1 is not closeted, but he's not out either. Let's put it that way. I think he was closeted by default, but he had already worked through the, if I really connect with someone, I will step out for them. And you can feel that with the way he tries to casually say to the boss, yeah, I have feelings about my boyfriend. And the way he's forthright about it with Jihan is I feel like he had emotionally prepared for the moment. And once he decided to commit to it, all of that work came out right away. Well, even before he says it to the boss or to Jihan, he says it to the guy at the, uh, at the rest stop when they're heading off to that fateful trip. It's not even a big deal for him to say that. And that's why I was wondering, like, well, is he closeted or is, is, is has just nobody just ever asked him about it? And I think I'm going to land on your side of things here with probably nobody ever asked him about it. And he didn't feel the need to announce it. Right. And I think that's where that's that's mostly how he reads to me. Do you think that Taehyung knew? Yes, because he kisses him all the time. But he knows it in the way that stupid ass straight boys know. Where they know and they want the attention and they kind of want it, but they would have to be gay and they can't actually do that. Which is why he gets so bothered about Jaywon caring about other stuff. It's the same thing we see all the time. He gets mad that he's not being paid attention to or that Jaywon doesn't care about the things he wants him to care about. 
or isn't being as miserable as they want him to be. You know what I think is actually a subtle hint? In the first few episodes of the show, the way that Taehyung keeps pushing Jaewon and Eunji together, keeps pushing them towards each other, keeps bringing Eunji into the spaces. Now that I'm thinking about it at the beginning, I just never quite figured out why it mattered so much to him. But now it makes like a strange kind of sense if he knew or if he at least suspected why he would keep shoving Eunji at him. Right, because if she he chooses Yunji, it's at least like the woman that he was okay with, I guess. And like it gives him some sort of weird control or investment in whatever they have going on. I feel like at some level Taehyung knows. But again, like that's part of why this show feels more queer for me than some other stuff, because we're having this really complex conversation about who knows, doesn't know, at what level do they know, what does their knowing imply about the way they perceive Jaywon? Like, that's the world real queer people exist in, where it isn't just who knows, it's what do they do with the knowledge. I'm really recasting, like, my initial reactions of the whole Taehyung Jaywon thing. I mean, if you, I don't know if you remember, I hated that motherfucker from the very first time we saw him. <laughs> ben could not stand his ass from jump. Like, the very first episode, I was like, oh, I hate this boy so much, Nini. <laughs> and she was like, damn, bro, they just had like one fight. And I'm like, oh, no, it was not just one fight. Speaking of fights between J1 and Taehyung, perfect segue. Let's talk about him tagging that ass, though. <laughs> yes. We're kind of jumping around here. And one of the reasons that we're jumping around is I feel like talking about the eight cents, like it doesn't really, it's not really useful to talk about it in some kind of chronology or in terms of the plot. The plot's there and the plot is good. The plot is a country boy snags a Che ball. It's very good. Yeah, the plot is very simple. I feel like the eighth sense, the the real meat of the discussion is in the relationships, in all the different interactions that these characters have bouncing off of each other, in some of the ways that they interact with society. I feel like that's more where the meat of talking about the story comes from. There's going to be a lot of jumping around in this discussion, I think, because of that. We'll talk about Young, but more specifically, we'll talk about how strong the characterization is for all of these characters. Like the biggest thing that's interesting about this show is all the seniors are miserable, horrible people. Terrible. <laughs> all of the freshmen are not, but some of them could be. I think that's Bitna's role in the story. Yunwan, Yunji, and Jaywan are all seniors who probably should have graduated already, but because of the funding model of school and how you need to get a job, they're all stuck and they hate it. They're having the millennial problem of we were told that if we were really good at school and we went to college and checked all the boxes, we would get decent jobs, marry wives, live in the suburbs, have a van and have 2.3 kids. And uh, we didn't. And we've lived through crisis after crisis for literally 22 years. And 
it sucks. And so, like, I get why Yoon-Wan, Yoon-Ji, Jae-Wan, and Taehyung are so frustrated and so pissed about all of it. And, like, they can't even be happy about any of it. Like, Taehyung wasn't drafted. But it's not like it worked out for him. It's not like he got to do anything useful with school and, like, get ahead and go work somewhere. Which is why, like, he's glomping back on to Jae-Wan. Because he's his last hope. That maybe somehow Jaywan getting control of his dad's company will get him a useful job. And maybe he won't be such a piece of shit. But he's such a selfish prick that he can't do anything with it. Yunji is clearly a status chaser. And she really wants to be the wife of a Chaebol. And that's why she's trying to lock Jaywan down. Yun Wan is the only person that Jaywan ends up having a real connection with because she's frustrated. But she's trying to do something positive. Like, hey, I'm going to be stuck in school for a while. But I'm going to try and keep the surfing club afloat while I'm here. I hope you can get some ch- a chance to relax. And I'm really glad that you came back and helped us out because you're really good at it. And I'm really glad that you're here. Like, she's the only person who's thankful for Jaywan's presence because he offered it. And she asks for literally nothing else beyond him except, hey, you feel like getting a pizza and a beer with me? I really want to go to this place, but the guy only speaks English, even though he lives in fucking Korea. <laughs> that was bizarre. <laughs> he's going to be such a dick about it. That felt like a dig at foreigners moving to Korea. <laughs> I completely agree that Yoon feels like the only person who is interested in J1 and not in what J1 can do for them in terms of the seniors. And that's why their thing works. And Jaywan says it when they're drinking in that foreigner's bar. He's like, you know, <laughs> when we started school, I really didn't like you. But now you're kind of the only person who basically tells her that she's the only person he doesn't hate. <laughs> so- right? And he call- she calls him and she's like, yeah, I know you hated me, you piece of shit. But it's fine. We're cool now. <laughs> but again, like, in terms of, like, early episodes... She's the only person in the series who respects what he wants. She's like, okay, I'll take the new kid because he clearly can't swim. You take two girls because you gay. You ain't going to do nothing with them girls. Teach them girls how to swim right. He's like, no, I want to go with the boy. And she's like, girl, are you sure? And he's like, no, no, no. I really want to go hang out with this boy. All right. But. Again, everyone else disrespects him, ignores his stated desires constantly. Yun Wan is the only person in the show who, when he says he wants something, she lets him have it. And then she's like, hey, the cute boy drew a picture of you. Want to see it? She gives him so much shit in, like, her own way. I love it. You know, I'm all about besties who give you shit. You know, that's my favorite. (laughs) That's my favorite trope, besties giving you shit. But, yeah, so you've got all the seniors who are stuck and miserable because, I mean, other than J1, if they all came in at the same time, other than J1 because of his military service, they should have all graduated already. And the fact that they haven't and they're all there just kind of, you know, sitting there miserable staring at each other is a big commentary on everything. So compare them to all the freshmen. Now, the freshmen are still young and hopeful, and they have all this energy and all that stuff, and it's such a contrast to the seniors who are all fucking miserable. 
even though there's fear there, particularly like sort of shown up in the person of Jihyun, there's still this kind of enthusiasm. And then there's this brightness that comes off of them. And you kind of understand why Yunwana and Jaewon gravitate kind of towards the freshmen and they feel protective of them and they they want them to have a good experience. That's one of the things that I really enjoyed about, for example, the surfing trip. They really invest in making sure that the freshmen have a good experience. Like they keep the skeevy senior guys away from them. They tell them they don't have to drink. They tell Taehyung, like, stop being a creep. Right, they keep telling him to fuck off. They're like, none of these rituals or things you're supposed to do that we did did anything for us. It didn't move us forward. It didn't make us closer to our seniors. It didn't help us succeed at school. We just got bullied by people who are older than us. And you hated it too. So chill the fuck out. Yeah, I like how invested they are, J1 and Yun 1, in making sure that the freshmen have a good time and that they're taken care of and protected. I really did like that. Like, it's almost like they want to help them preserve their innocence for a little bit longer, which I found was a great commentary, to be quite frank. I did love that. But you also see, like you were mentioning in the character of Bitna, you're seeing somebody who could go along that trajectory towards misery that landed in G and Taehyung where they are now. Exactly. It's implied that she's doing all the things like you're expected to do, TM. But there's a little bit of her being like, no, I'm not going to drink all this stuff from you. And like at the end, like she's furious with Taehyung. She's like, no, I know that you've been causing problems for me because you have a possessive crush on me. Fuck you. Get out of here. Scram. Eat it. <laughs> I saw the little spray bottle. Move. (laughs) (laughs) Go on now. Get. (laughs) So she's sort of the antagonistic force that's pushing back against that stuff. While Jihyun and Ariam are like that force that's laughing at that stuff. One is like dismissive and the other is antagonistic. And it's two ways of dealing with the same thing. I love how when the two of them start to bond, they just turn into like the meanest little catty duo. They're like, oh, well, you know, she hasn't mentioned you at all. And oh, has she really not? Like, if I had a crush and had a best friend, I know that I would be talking to my best friend about the crush. So it's really embarrassing for you that she really hasn't mentioned you at all to her, right? Oh, geez. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but he says that and then he doesn't tell Junpyo about his crush terrible and that's why Junpyo was pissed let's talk about Jihyun and Eri being catty for a second so we've already seen Jihyun and Eri in class making fun of like people giving their presentations for this class on, I guess, some kind of film studies course or whatever, because they're doing these presentations about films that they've watched or whatever. So we've seen them doing their little mean girl duo act in class already, where they, you know, kind of quietly snicker 
that whoever sent friends of the class at the point in time, which I mean, come on, who, who hasn't done that with your friend in class? <laughs> when Jihyun comes back from his accident, the one that they're making fun of, and this is the part that I wasn't quite sure what they were trying to say because I didn't recognize the character. So at first I didn't know if it was a character we had already met or if it was just a character that we hadn't seen before. And I think not knowing that also made things a little more difficult to parse because you get the sense from the way that this character talks to them that this is a character we're supposed to know who it is that we've seen before or something, but I don't recognize them. Anyway, so this character is doing their presentation on Hedwig and the Angry Inch, which is a queer classic. I have not commented on this particular moment on Tumblr because I didn't feel like getting flamed, but this is the conversation, so I will say what needs to be said. So a big part of this film critic class that they're taking is that most of these presentations people are giving are only doing surface-level reads of the source material, and this guy's read is not that deep either, but he dresses as Hedwig and thinks like he should be getting a lot of points for that. Whereas they give a really solid read that understands the themes being explored in the Park Chan-wook film. I'm a cyborg, but it's okay. They give a really solid presentation. They clearly understood the themes involved, but their presentation didn't have a lot of pizzazz, and they barely passed the class to him. But they don't really care because they took what they needed from the course. They engaged with the source material, they understood it, and they moved on. Whereas he's cosplaying as Hedwig, a gay character. Does he appreciate the life of this gay character? Which for me felt like this show taking shots at performative queerness happening with BL in particular. Like a lot of these boys are cosplaying as gay. Do they understand gay people? Do they understand the lives we live? Like you're sitting here beefing with me, an actual gay and my hag, over our presentation. But do you have any appreciation for who we are? Why don't you go ahead and scamper your ass down the little gay district of here and figure out what gay people actually lived through? Like, people didn't like that because they thought it read as transphobic, which it probably did. And I'm not going to begrudge people what they took from it. But for me, I read it as, you can cosplay as us, but you ain't us. Hmm. So I have never watched Hedwig. So I couldn't really get a read on what they were trying to do with this because I didn't know if what the guy was saying had any weight of understanding to it. It didn't. Like, even just knowing the film by reputation alone and knowing older gay men who loved it, his read on it was weak. And it's, that's what that's what I got. Like, I don't want to drag anybody who is like, this is transphobic and gay people should be better. It's also a surface level read on what's going on there. You're reacting to the fact that they dissed a guy in drag, but not why they dissed a guy in drag. Who started beef with them? I come from the school of talk shit, get hit. So. (laughs) (laughs) My my reaction to it, like I said, because I I don't have the, the context, right? So my reaction to it was just kind of confused. I think that's what my overwhelming reaction was. I was confused by what was happening. I wasn't sure. 
I'm seeing all the takes, you know, saying this is transmisogyny, this is transphobic, this is this, that, and the other. But the only thing that didn't read right to me about those takes, again, acknowledging that I didn't have the context, was that I don't know that this guy is part of queerness. You know he ain't one of us because he couldn't walk in heels. You don't cosplay as Hedwig and not walk in heels. Fair. It's fine. The reason why I let everybody have it is it was a deep cut and it wasn't for everybody. And that's kind of why I love the Eighth Sense, because the people who don't do their homework, who don't do the research on the genre history, who don't watch this stuff, who don't really engage in complex interactions with queerness, they kind of miss these sort of things. And I think that's okay. Like, does the interaction read a little transphobic? It does. Do gay men's interactions with drag queens and other trans people often read transphobic? Hell yeah, they do. But I got it. Like, is it a great interaction? No. But you ain't gonna last long in queer spaces if you can't handle a botched interaction. I feel like it was probably the only really clunky part of the show in that it wasn't clear. I feel like everything else that happened in the show was, it was very clear. It was abundantly clear what the show was saying, what the characters were saying and feeling, what they were trying to do. But I feel like this moment, this particular interaction was the only time I felt like the show got a little got a little clumsy. It's the only indulgent thing that the show really does. It's the German director's favorite film. And he was taking a dig at people who get caught up in the fact that there's gender performance stuff in Hedwig and the wearing of the wig and dressing as a woman stuff, but they're missing maybe the meat of the story. They focus on the wigs and the makeup, but not the person and the story. I have this particular beef too. Like (laughs) I had an interaction with a colleague about what parts of queer cinema that they should maybe check out. And they really just wanted me to validate the things they wanted to watch. And that's kind of how this guy reads to me. Like, the gay boy in the room is laughing at his performance. How dare you laugh at my performance? I know I did my fucking research. I know gay people. <laughs> that's, that's, that's how that felt for me. Like, bro, why are you in my face? Like, go drink your juice, Shelby. Shit. You and you just said it like that. It made me think about white is appropriating the language of the ballroom. Well, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it feels like. Like, you aren't us, but you're wearing us. And it's fine. Like, you can get your little grade, you can make your little coins. But, like, the rest of us are still here trying to create queer lives that have meaning and comfort to them. Are you going to be with us there? That's like, if we're going to beef with this show for being rude to a guy in drag, what have you done for us lately? Like, you might be queer too, and I don't mean to make you feel bad, but also if you're queer and all you do is watch BL, there's way more work to be done, sweetie. Let go of your beef about the Hedwig scene. Go watch Hedwig. Go watch I'm a Cyborg and that's okay. Then go watch the fucking sequences where these kids gave weak-ass takes about these really classic films and then understand why they were getting laughed at by the teacher, too. Like, sure, you dressed as Hedwig, but do you appreciate her? 
No. Okay. You get a B plus, I guess. Thank you for wearing drag. It's not the most elegant moment in the thing, but it's one of those moments that is like, who knows and who doesn't know. Let's just talk about some fun gay shit. <laughs> Let's talk about Aerie. Aerie's <laughs> an interesting character. Aerie is a soul kid. So she's not like a country mouse innocent like Jihyun. She's with it. She knows what's going on. She she understands the haps. You know what I mean? She's savvy. And she becomes Jihyun's... She becomes a hag. Let's call her what she is. Let's give her the term of endearment that we used to hand out to the best of the ladies. She becomes the hag, yes. She becomes his fairy godmother. The way that she just kind of scoops Jihyun up and it's just like, oh, you poor little baby, come, let me help you because you very clearly need I just think that's delightful. I think that the way that their friendship develops, because at first Jihyun is convinced that she has a crush on him. And... Honestly, I'm not sure that he was wrong. Elaborate. I think that she clocked him once she had actually like spent time with him. I don't think she was paying attention to him until he drank the until he drank the liquor for them. And then she's like, why would he do that? Because all he does is look at J1. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's that's where we're going with this. He's like, oh, he's nice. Let me go scoop him up because he clearly needs help because he is not going to make it like this. And he did, though. Like, he needed somebody to be like, bro, if you're trying to be closeted, because it seems like you are, let me just be clear. You were doing a terrible job, sweetie. <laughs> also, then Fitz is busted. We need to buy you some clothes, like, immediately. We're going shopping right now. It's like you're trying to get J1's attention. This is not how you do it, okay? We're going to need to accentuate those eyes, darling. Okay? <laughs> she's the best girl. She ends up being protective of Jihyun, and because she's protective of Jihyun, she also becomes protective of the people that Jihyun cares about. And Jihyun cares about J1, so she becomes protective of J1. And she has claws, and she will use them. We talked about it earlier, but that scene where she just very neatly, she and Jihan very neatly take Taehyung apart. The reason that they take him apart is because he goes for J1 and J1 just looks really sad about it. And they're like, not to fucking day. We are going to end your entire career. She's the best girl. She's the best girl. I want her to have everything that she wants. I don't know what she wants because it's not really clear. But I want her to have whatever she wants. She just seems to be vibing. And I always love a character who's vibing. The reason why I like Aerie is in a room of seniors being awful to her friend, she stood up and challenged them. And that was scary for her. Like she broke down in tears after that confrontation with the other seniors in Yunji. If you read that a certain way, you're like, well, is she weak or whatever? You're like, no, it's, it's scary to stand up in front of a bunch of people are being awful and tell them like no you guys are mean and this is not right that confrontation among the surf club after jihan has his accident is so ugly 
you really see how self-centered these people are, these seniors. They do not care that this kid nearly died. Like, yeah, okay, they're upset about their club getting canceled because it's not technically fair. It's not like, you know, this was a club activity that he got hurt at. So yeah, okay, it's not technically fair. But the clause that they have out and the way that they completely dismiss that at this point, Jihyun is still in the hospital. It's not like he's back. He's still in the hospital. And they're so catty and vicious. I don't even know if he was conscious at that point. Yeah, he's like, he's, they're all so vicious about it. It's like they don't care whether he lives or dies. They don't care about anything other than the fact that this is inconveniencing them. And that Eri takes that in. She like feels that. She internalizes that. And she realizes, y'all don't give a fuck about us. Which, if you're dealing with like intergenerational relationships and you're in a situation where you are the low man on the totem pole, you expect a certain amount of care and consideration to be taken with regard to you because you're, you're the low man on the totem pole. You can't protect yourself necessarily. You need these people to care for and protect you. And realizing quite clearly and unambiguously that these people will not protect her. They will not protect any of them. They don't care. Like, I can understand why she breaks down. Exactly. Like, it's terrifying to realize that the people you're asked to respect do not give a shit about you. They'll demand obeisance all the time. But when some shit popped off, did they care about Jaywon? Did they care about Jihyun? No, they're like, wow, this is awfully inconvenient for us, isn't it? It was so ugly. I, I just remember being shocked. Like, I, I felt that one, you know what I mean? It wasn't just, like, the intellectualization of what was happening on screen. I felt that deep somewhere inside of me. My appreciation for the Eighth Sense is more intellectual than it is emotional. I think it's very excellent. I gave it a 9.5 when I rated it, but I'm not like obsessed with the romance of this the way I might have been in another show. I like the way this one unfolds. I really like the way these two talk to each other. I like the way they see each other. I like that they totally misunderstood each other after the near-death crisis moment. And I like that other people pulled their heads out of their asses for them so that they could be together and then they followed through on that. But because this is just a very boy-likes-boy sort of story, there isn't really a whole lot to say about the romance, but I do think we should take some time to unpack how we see Jay Wan and Ji Hyun engaging with each other. Yeah, so let's do that. These two are, as you would have said before, drones each other from the start. Like Jay Wan clocks Ji Hyun in the restaurant, Ji Hyun clocks Jay Wan. I haven't rewatched the first couple of episodes as yet, but I think I remember that when Jay Wan goes outside to smoke, Ji Hyun follows him. Ji Hyun is outside, maybe on like a break or whatever, just decompressing after a stressful moment. And all of Jay Wan and his friends are maybe thinking about leaving. And then Jay Wan asks for a lighter so he can light a cigarette. 
He asked for the cigarette first because he doesn't have a cigarette. He asked for a cigarette and he asked for a lighter, which is why I thought I remembered Jihan following him outside because the lighter that he gives him is the gas match for the restaurant, not like a, a standard big. It's the big gas match that he uses yeah, to, yeah. to light the cigarette for him. And he gives him two cigarettes, one for now and one for later. J1 was definitely flirting in a subtle way. And then Jihyun responds in a way that's like, I see you. But it both gave them the chance to back off of it and just write it off. Which is where I started to really appreciate the show. Because BL flirting is too overt sometimes. It's a dance that I've seen before. This kind of, I think you are, but are you? And there's like these little subtle signals and all these other things. I mean, I don't need to tell you. You're gay. You know. No, no, Nene. Go on. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> Fine, read me. No, nah, it's, it's legitimately fun for me to see what other people are picking up on. The thing is that it's so easy to dismiss, and it has to be. So these two, they clock each other. They do the dance, you know, the are you, I think you are, what are you, I think you are kind of dance. What's so fun about them dancing is, like, it could have been a one-off moment, but then Jihyun joins the surfing club, and Jihyun forces Jaywon to see him. Like, no, my name is Jihyun, what's yours? You said you wanted to be friends. Were you just bullshitting me, or were you just flirting? Yeah, Jihyun is actually pretty. He's so brave. I love him. He is pretty forward for a baby gay. I will say that. He knows who he is. And he sees a boy in pain who's very pretty. And he's like, I can help him. Not I can fix him. I can help him. Jihyun doesn't really demand anything of Jaywon, really. He just won't let Jaywon fully push him away and continues to offer him emotional support. He's incredibly patient in a way that maybe city folk aren't used to. Being city folk myself, I can't like speak to city versus the country in that regard because I simply don't have the country experience. I'm from Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> The extra shot in that daiquiri getting to you, huh? It really is. We are we are two thirds of the way through this thirty-two ounces. That's a lot. <laughs> there is something to be said for like the way that Jihyun is. He's brave. He's forward, but he does it in this kind of quiet, still way. He's pushing. There's definitely no doubt that he's pushing, but he's also not pushy. When I was really on Twitter a lot, there's this writer I used to follow. His name is Anthony Oliveira. He's queer. And he used to say like once or twice a day on his Twitter, he would say, be brave enough to be kind. And that's where Jihyun fits for me. Even when he's being catty with people, it's only with people who came at him sideways. It's the Hedwig boy coming at him for no reason. It's Yunji beefing with him for no reason. It's Junpyo picking on him a little bit. 
and him being like, nah, fuck you, bro. Other than that, he treats people really well. He gives people back the energy they give him. Like when they dragged Taehyung, we mentioned this earlier, he was being shitty about Bitna when she wasn't even there. And it's like, bro, she didn't owe you nothing. That's kind of what I love about Jihyun because that's what he gives Jaywon. Jaywon flirted with him a little bit. He flirted back. He won't let Jaywon run away after starting that with him. Like, hmm, you made a mistake. <laughs> you should not have started this. And like, he's so confident in the end. Like, he's singing a song. Like, I won. Ha <laughs> ha. It's like, Jaywon's mine. Jaywon's mine. <laughs> I love that so much. And Young G's like, what's it like to win? And he's like, hmm, I'll tell you later tonight. <laughs> and let's talk about that boy later that night because he pinned that boy down. He's like, oh no, we've been here for four hours of this TV show. It's time to get mine. Oh, he literally said, what's the line that he said? Don't laugh. You don't know what's coming next. Right? I was I like, baby boy. I loved that. I was in my show. I was like, yes, bitch, yes. <laughs> Get it. In. He's like, I he's like, I may look, I may look innocent, but I ain't that innocent, you know, kind of. He said, I am suited, tooted, and booted. <laughs> he's like, I have the internet. I know how these things go. <laughs> It's a piece of cake to bake a pretty cake. <laughs> God, I hate you. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, speaking of getting it in, let's talk about my boy, June Pierre. Hello. Hello. I said it in the clown and I'm going to repeat it on this podcast and I don't care how filthy it is. Okay. You just know, I'm sorry. He might be a virgin, but I know that dick game bomb. I know it. Look, we've been here a while. Anybody who's still listening wants to be here. Let's talk about this for a second. Both Yoon Wan and Jun Pyo are fat characters who are seen enjoying food repeatedly in this show. And I am so glad that the two of them get to have what was clearly a very enjoyable makeout session with each other and got to vibe for the rest of the night and are confirmed to dip off to wherever they're going on their own. So we got time to do our little gay thing we need to next to my rainbow lamp in this room. <laughs> my boy, He's been there for his homie the whole time because he knows his friend gets lonely. He tries to make sure he does social things with him. Maybe he's a little overbearing. Maybe he's a little codependent. But he had his boys back. And when his boy was down for the count, he starts working at his job, treating the boss with respect because the boss seems like she might be picky about who she lets work with her. And she seemed to like Junpyo too. He brought that man his school supplies to make sure that he didn't have to lose a semester. And when he found out that his homie was gay and the reason he almost died was for some dick, he was like, shit, was it worth it? Yes. Well, we need to secure that bag, don't we? What we doing next? He was for it. He stumbled briefly. He's like, wait, A.R.E. knew before me? Yeah, but she's from Seoul. She clocked me. I don't know. All right. So she's just smart. Is she cool? 
are we friends now? Does that mean I get to hang out with cool people? My man is always looking at the best way to proceed forward. Ain't nobody doing it like my man June Pill. Not just that, Ruin. After all this shit, when Jihyun and Jaewon finally get back together, Jinpyo clears out of the room that first night. He's like, clearly y'all got some stuff to be doing, and I don't want to be here while y'all do it. Right. Jaewon, he's like, where'd you, like, I felt, I felt it for Jihyun. Like, he wakes up in the morning and Jaewon's gone, and like, that boy is not well. We knew that boy almost hurt himself in the show. Jihyun's understandably worried. He goes out and he's just vibing with, J- with Junpyo. And he's like, well, what's going on here? He's like, well, Junpyo hung out outside all night for us. So he brought us coffee. I'm honoring the man's commitment to us. And Junpyo's like, you're very pretty and popular. Like, would you please take me clubbing? He's like, hell yeah, let's go clubbing. Let's get you some, son. <laughs> I love and he's that. like, how do I need to dress? How do I need to be? And he was like, man, you just need to be yourself. Says the rich boy with all the nice clothes. <laughs> you just know that Jay Wong gonna make it rain on Jim Peel at the club. He's gonna make sure that he has everything. I love Jim Peel. I liked how there were kind people, even in Seoul. Like, like these are two freshmen, clearly not used to Seoul, who want to try specialty drinks for the first time. And I like how that bartender only teased them briefly and then gave them the kind of popular drinks people their age might want to enjoy. Like that felt so gentle to me in a way. And it really stuck out when I watched it. I feel like one of the things that the show gets right that I really enjoyed was that the businesses around a university are really accustomed to having students, particularly new students who don't know what the fuck they're doing. The people who work and who own and work in businesses around the university can really be quite nice like that. That's how I feel about the boss character. She clearly loves young people in a genuine way. And like Yunji thought she was really doing some stuff. Ooh, I'm about to post a negative review on you on Yelp. And I like how she's like, business improved as a result of your negative review. You insufferable waste of human flesh. <laughs> People are like, so this mean, catty person got chewed out by, by a business owner for being rude to the support staff? Yeah, we should go to that place. I like how the boss doesn't have a name. Because it doesn't really matter if she has a name or not. Because she's a temporary component of their lives. They're not going to really remember her name in a way that it matters. They're going to remember the things she said to them. They're going to remember how she treated them. They're going to remember like how she helped them grow, how she pushed them to choose the things in their lives that they wanted. And like, that's what matters about her character. Like that's why they don't give her a name because it doesn't matter what her name is because she's so much older than them that we don't have to distinguish her. She is the positive older mentor figure in their lives i just think of her as such a name because <laughs> you're right she doesn't get it in but she is so important to not just having the story unfold but she's important to the characters let's talk about the kissing you go first oh absolutely not <laughs> <laughs> <You are> the- <laughs> 
You of the all of the kissing is bad, and I have notes. <laughs> That's fine. I'm gonna go first because I have more fun than you sometimes with these terrible kissing. I will say that overall, I enjoyed the execution of intimacy in this because everyone is very earnest, and I never feel like I'm not observing the character. This is shorted by the fact that MG Sub gives absolutely terrible kisses with Yunji's actress on purpose. Straight actors will win me over so much in queer cinema. When when they're forced to kiss women, they look like they hate it. <laughs> From a character standpoint, I found it very believable. Okay. I found it extremely believable from a character standpoint. It wasn't pretty, but it's not supposed to be pretty. J1 is definitely more experienced than Jihyun, and that shows it works for me because I don't feel like Jihyun is supposed to be good at it. I feel like he's new to the whole thing. And because of that, the enthusiasm carries more for me than the technique. He's new to it, but he's going for it in a particular kind of way. There are some little acting choices that Ujentake does. Like, he opens his mouth, like, really wide. When I loved it. I the first time that. I said it, I was like, go! I was like, go in, baby boy! I loved that. Because that's the kind of thing you do when you're learning to kiss. You overcompensate. I love it. You overcompensate when you're learning to kiss. It's one of the things that you do. So I actually really like that detail. He looks like he wants to swallow J1 whole. And I really, really I, like that. I fucking love it. I loved it so much. I really love that. And that's that's the kissing at the end. But then the kissing sort of in between as well is really good because those kisses, those kisses like towards the end, like they're together at that point. You know what I mean? It's a whole different thing. But the way that he kisses him before that, there's a little bit of tentativeness to it some, it's on some parts. When they're surfing, when they're on their trip and he kisses them in the sea, like, in terms of pretty, yeah. those are the pretty, those are the prettiest kisses. Like, you know what I mean? Those, those aesthetically pleasing, all that good stuff. And you feel the sense of euphoria that's coming out of it. They are having this whole moment. There is so much joy in those kisses, which I truly love. And that's the other thing. Like, every, all the kisses have different moods. And, you know, I like to follow the trajectory of a relationship through the to the intimacy and how it's being portrayed. So watching all the kisses and the, all the intimacy have different moods to it, fantastic. I can't complain about it. Is it pretty? In a lot of instances, no. Does it feel real? Absolutely, 100% all the time. See? See? I'm so relieved, y'all, because... <laughs> Normally, I'm like, I really enjoyed that. And Nini's like, hmm, it was terrible. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> you know, I'm out here being Beyonce. Look at my technique. You know, kind of thing. <laughs> and Ben's like, no! <laughs> Leave them alone. They're doing their best. Shit. No, no. But I, I really, I did, I did like it here. It's also maybe something to do with the style because the style is so verite. When you get 
an ugly kiss, quote unquote, ugly kiss in a variety style. It feels different than when you get a quote unquote ugly kiss in a style that's very polished. Right. You know? Right. When it feels very fanciful and like this is the best kiss that's ever happened, and you're like, oh, but it wasn't. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Precisely. All right. So while we're talking about the unintimacy and stuff, I think we should talk about episode six reactions. First, I'm going to say that I loved episode six. And I particularly enjoyed the way they handled the intimacy of episode six. I think that was very appropriate for the newness of the actors, the lack of an intimacy coordinator. We're going to talk about the reaction. I don't know if you were on Tumblr for this, but there was a lot of discussion at the end of episode six where people were saying that episode six was not real, that it was fake. And... I have written on Tumblr on record about how much I hated that take and I want to unpack it here. I did see the reactions on Tumblr. I mostly stayed out of it. I didn't really delve too much into the eight cents discussion. I did do like a little thing about NG, but I didn't really delve into the eight cents discussion because I wanted it to play out. I felt like the eight cents is one of those shows that the episodic discussion wasn't going to give much. I felt like it's one of those shows where I needed to see the full the full thing to really understand. Because it's not, as, as we said earlier in the show, it's not really one of those episode by episode kind of things where the plot is what's driving it or whatever. It's really about the interactions that these characters are having, the way that they're interacting with their surroundings. It's why we've been jumping back and forth in discussion. And like, it's how I felt about it while it was airing. So I really kind of didn't really delve too much into the whole episode six discussion. I saw it, but I wasn't getting into it. I guess I'm just going to deliver a little read while we're here. Then, Okay. (laughs) Here we go. Here we go. I don't want to disrespect anyone before we get into this. Let me be clear. Like, I do believe people were relying on very fair reads of traditional filming techniques for why they believe that some parts of episode six might have not been real or that Jaywan would become an unreliable narrator for it. But I think it's very important to talk about this. Just because it's unpleasant to consider does not mean it's not real. This is not meant to be read as disrespect to those of you trying to make sense of what's going on because you were nervous and concerned for Jihyun. That is valid. But please understand that for me, this is just me as a queer person in these streets with y'all. Whenever you all seemingly get squicked out because one of us isn't being entertaining or sexy, it makes me feel a little bit unwelcome. That's all I'm going to say about that, because you know who was right as of episode seven? Me! It was real! (laughs) I was insufferable that week. I feel sorry for everybody who had to talk to me. (laughs) I didn't think you were insufferable. 
I felt insufferable. <laughs> I was smug. My crops were watered. <laughs> the field in which you grew your fucks was barren. <laughs> I don't want anyone to feel embarrassed if you just felt called out by what I just said. But I would like you to approach these shows with just a little more kindness. The goal of watching TV is not to be right. It's about finding connection with fictional people and the real people who are also finding that connection with you. It can bring you closer to other people. It can help you understand other people. It can bring you just a little bit of peace and joy in an otherwise difficult time. There are no points to be awarded. You are not taking a test when you watch these shows. So please, be kinder to yourselves, be kinder to the people making the stories, and be kinder to the people who are also watching them alongside you. Message. I'm a little drunk, but that's all I'm going to say on that. <laughs> Let's talk about that end scene, the party. Okay, let's talk about forgiveness for the next 30 minutes. <laughs> I think that's a good segue from what you just said. Let's talk a little bit about forgiveness. I'm going to let Nini talk because I just made you guys feel bad for like probably 10 minutes of this edit. Here's the thing. Nini and I came down on the side of forgiveness for this, but Nini and I are a little bit older than some of the viewers, so... I'll let you talk about the final scene and particularly how there were mixed reactions to Jay Wan's and Ji Hyun's decision to reconcile at a party with Tae Hyung and Yoon Ji, the two worst offenders of this particular story. Nene? See, here's the thing. I didn't read it as a reconciliation, and that's probably why I have a, like, a different view of it. So the way that I read that is... When you're stonkingly giddy happy, when you are at a celebratory event, when you are drinking, let's just be real about it, it is so easy to just be like, you know what? I don't want to fight. I don't want to argue. I just want to let all this go. Like, there's so much love in this club. I'm just going <laughs> to... And there is love in this club tonight. Some of you don't even know. That's part of it. That's definitely part of it. But also, you have to understand what's happening with Taehyun and with Inji in here as well. Taehyun is a dick. That doesn't change throughout the show. He was a dick at the start of the show. At the end of the show, he's still a dick. Nothing about him changes. But you get to understand the value that J1 finds in Taehyun. Because he outright asks him, Taehyung asks him, why are you still friends with me? Because Taehyung doesn't even understand why Jaewon keeps him around. And what Jaewon says about that, he's just like, basically he tells him, I keep you around because you don't mask and I find that really refreshing. That's basically what he tells him. And that makes so much sense to me. And it also makes me understand why he would just let the shit go at this point. Because Taehyung's not going to change. We see that at the same party. He continues to try to hit on Bitna. 
He has to get read to the ground by Bitna for his bullshit. Taehyung is never going to change. That's true. He's the most bitchless motherfucker in the whole show. (laughs) (laughs) Completely, 100%. He's never going to change. And J1 finds that comforting. Also, I have seen men forgive each other for all kinds of shit. So that just read 100% true to me. I have seen dudes fight, box, wrestle, nearly kill each other. And then two days later, they're out together hanging out. Dude, I've seen them after the fight, bloody, like crying, hugging each other. Like, I love you, bro. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, what the hell just happened? That rang 100% true to me. I think that if Taehyung and Jaewon stay in contact, because there's no guarantee that that's going to happen either, because they're coming to the end of things now. The fact that they're having this party because Yoon got a job means that things are starting to move. Where all the seniors were stuck before, things are now starting to move for them. They're coming to the end of this period of their lives anyway. So they've also got like a hefty whiff of nostalgia permeating the whole thing. And also, they don't know if they're going to see each other really after this. They don't know if they're going to stay friends. It's easy in that situation to just let the shit go. And I've seen this situation happen so many times before. And I'm just kind of like, you know what? That rang true for me. I wasn't worried about that. I am with Nini. As a boy, I have friends like that. Where you know who this person is. They're kind of a sad sack. They're kind of a shit heel, And you get it. But... They're weirdly there. And so you just accept these losses. Like, yeah, he tried to get me kicked out of school, but he failed because he sucks. So whatever. Was that annoying? Yes. Is he going to apologize for it? No. But he wouldn't be himself if he apologized. And like, that's not great. But this is, again, a reflection of the current state of social politics. It's more of a question of, is this realistic? And to me, yes, it is. Nini and I are both from cultures that have carnival. And so, like, I've seen this happen at Mardi Gras, where blood feuds have ended. Because, like, we ran into each other at a parade. And, like, the right thing was said at the right moment. And people just let go of decades worth of beef. Like, it can happen. And, like, the question is, like, does holding on to this anger at Taehyung help Jaewon, take care of Jihyun. So let it go. The way I can best describe it is whatever, I'm over it. It's not like he's gonna make him like godparent to his firstborn or anything like that. I don't think that's where their relationship is going. I'd be surprised if they're speaking to each other in two years. For now, at a party, everybody's happy, everybody's drinking. You're gonna go home with your boyfriend later and have a great time. Like, right. The music is good. The drinks are flowing. There's love in this club tonight. The other one that everybody's upset about is Jihyun forgiving Enji. Now, I also found that incredibly believable, not just for party reasons, but also for career reasons. Enji is still his senior. The first thing he does, like when he walks up to her, is he apologizes for being snarky with her. 
in the moment and like the heat of battle, so to speak, he might have popped off of the mouth, but he's going to feel bad about it later. And I can see him like apologizing to her about it. And I can genuinely see her having lost so comprehensively, licking her wounds, taking a step back and reassessing her entire life. Here's the thing about the way she lost Jihyun. What she realized from Jaewon handing her her entire ass was <laughs> Jihyun was never her enemy. She lost way before this boy showed up. And so all the beef she had with him in this whole competition for Jaewon was nil because he said, I saw you. And so all of the presumptions she had about like, what was at stake? Is this a battle for Jaywan's booty or whatever? Like, none of that works out. He had already dismissed her. And he was adamant that he did not want to be with her the whole time. So she feels like an asshole because she's been in the wrong the whole time. And maybe, like, a part of her was true about this. Maybe she was just bitter that Jaywan was gone. She's mad about him being gone. But she didn't do right by him, and she lied. That's the big thing. Like She's been caught lying. There's no coming back from that. Whatever her goals were for Jaywan, she had to eat that bowl of shit and set it aside. And like, there's no value for her in beefing with Jihyun anymore. Because it just further exacerbates how much of an asshole she is. This boy did literally nothing to her. And they are not equals in a struggle for the heart of a bisexual boy. She lost her chance before this boy showed up. And so it's actually good to see her becoming the senior she's supposed to be now that she has some experience to maybe pass on and grow from. I agree with that, Reed. I really think that she's reassessing and reevaluating her entire life at this point. She's feeling a little vulnerable. She's feeling a little raw she's feeling a little humbled and so when you're feeling that way just what do you do you sit quietly and you you try not to do too much i don't know if this feels the way that it feels to me because i am an old bitch but (laughs) the first and hopefully last time you ever find yourself beefing with a fetus like (laughs) Beefing with the fetus! Ah! You know I'm right. You know I'm right. I know what you mean. I think there are times I'm like, oh Lord, I almost threw hands with the 12 year old today. <laughs> you literally, like, when somebody slaps into you, like, what are you doing? Like, this is a child. Hopefully, it only ever happens to you once. And hopefully, you very quickly realize that you are, in fact, you're in an antagonistic situation with a child. It's really hard to realize sometimes that you are wrong and to accept that and try to like move on from it properly. Like I think she does okay. And like she's still an asshole. Like just like Taehyung's still an asshole. But I think she does okay. To me it feels right that the end is not a comeuppance in that sense or a vengeance, but it's more like everybody being like, look, okay, we all been through it. 
let's just hug the shit out. Maybe I'll see you again. Maybe I won't. But for right now, we're here. It's a party. Let's just have a good time and not like do all this shit. Speaking of, maybe we'll see each other again. How do you feel about returning to these characters? As you always say, dick is magical. It does not fix you. It does not. And there's still a lot, particularly on J1 side. Like there's stuff with Jihan too, but especially with J1, there's still a lot there in terms of his mental health, in terms of his family, in terms of all that stuff. So there is room there for something else that could be interesting. But I feel like if this was all there was, I would be good with it. How do you feel? What, do you, what are your thoughts on a potential sequel? So we talked about sequels in the spring season, and I was really amped about sequels. I don't feel the pull for one here yet. I'm not opposed, because these characters are so strong. Like, we're going to remember these characters. Things. We're going to remember Jihyun, Jaewon, Jinpil, Yunwon, Yunji, Taehyung, the boss, Aerie. Get my girl. I'm sorry, boo-boo. We're going to remember these characters, and their characterizations are fairly strong. So I am confident that the voice of the characters is strong enough to carry them into whatever new situations they want to put these characters through. However, I believe that this particular outing had a lot of very specific things it wanted to say about queerness, about being Korean, about being young in Korea. And I hope hope that if they really want to continue the story that they have more things that they think are worth saying and they do that in a way that's legible i am just concerned that they aren't prepared for a domestic story where one of them is still in school and the other one is trying to survive their homophobic family and abusive dad and i'm not entirely certain that i am eager to explore that i'm not opposed to a sequel i'm not yearning for one but i do hope that we get more melodrama out of these guys i enjoyed this production a lot even if we don't get more of the eighth sense i hope that this team continues to make cool stuff i really love the way ojun take played jihyun this whole time I loved the way he moved. I loved the way he spoke. I loved his smile. And like, I like how in the final episodes when J1 has almost the the Japanese running to the boy moment, I just love the way that Jihyun is just so ecstatic to finally get what he's been hoping for. And he's clingy for the final parts of this show. And he's having a good time. He's literally radiant for the rest of the show. Ojun Take plays the relief and joy of that character so well. Like you see, even J1, like you can see his old bones creaking as he's like, I can't experience joy again. As he quickly wakes up for this. And like, I feel like some of the final bits were a little bit rushed, but I'm not going to complain because like, I like the therapy bit with J1. Like, it allows me to be forgiving about a character 
who's had a lot of emotional struggles for the whole fucking show to very quickly adapt to the situation and like, no, we're boyfriends now. Like you can see the work of somebody who spent a great deal of time working with a professional about how he's feeling and how to manage them, expressing them properly and out of the hugest block is out of his way. And that lands really well for me in the final moments. Like in another show, I might've felt like this got resolved too quickly. I don't feel like it did get resolved too quickly. If I have to do like one more thing for the show, I think that the passage of time, particularly in this last two episodes, wasn't really clear. It is not. There's a sequence where Jaehyun is in a classroom and he's sitting in different positions in the classroom and wearing different clothes. And we're meant to understand that that is time passing. So there's a bunch of time that passes in episode nine in particular that I don't think is very clear to the audience that there is a lot of time passing. We're seeing J1 becoming stronger and stronger and happier and happier, but because it all happens in a montage where it's not clear that time is passing, it feels rushed. I don't know how much time there is, but it feels like they go through a season because you see his clothes change. At one point, he's just wearing a t-shirt. And then the next time when they meet each other up, they're back into like maybe something heavier, like more like fall clothes. So I feel like they at least went through the summer. Though I did love this show, this is not a show that's going to be like part of my personal canon. For me, it's like uh, I can appreciate it as being objectively good. I can feel the emotions that it was going for. Watching it is kind of ticking something off a film syllabus. That's the exact feeling that like, I think it is. That makes it sound bad in a way, but I don't mean for it to sound bad. It goes on the must-watch list, but you're like, eh. It's all the things. It's good. It's worthy. It's enjoyable. It's emotional. It's all of the things that you want a drama to be. I will recommend it for sure. I think it's important work. I don't really see myself rewatching it. It touches me, but it doesn't give me the visceral feelings. This is not calling the show bad. Objectively, this is a 10 show for me. Don't let our mid-commentary at the end of this two-and-a-half-hour recording deter you. We loved this show. And like we said in the beginning, we will remember every single one of these characters because they're so vivid and they're so expertly crafted. Do we recommend The Eighth Sense? Wholeheartedly, yes. Please. You should experience this. Go watch this. Okay, Nini. It's been about two months, I think, since the Eight Cents ended at this point. How are you feeling about it two months later? As I predicted, I have not rewatched it. I have not felt the need to rewatch it. When I was doing the edit, I was listening to us talk about it, and everything just came flooding back. Like I could remember distinctly how I felt watching it, the things that we were talking about, but I still don't feel compelled to rewatch it. 
I feel like it's one of those things where it has stuck somewhere deep inside. And because it's stuck, I don't need to go back to it and reinterpret it and review it and look at it again. I feel like it was so clear. It was so legible. It spoke for itself, really. And so I don't feel the need to go over and over and over it. It's very different from how I normally consume media, because if I'm really into something, I will go over and over and over and over it. This is very different for me, a very different experience of taking in media. What about you, Ben? How do you feel about it a few months down the line? I feel a bit weird about it. And I think a big part of it is the way that the team behind it is continuing to release behind the scenes content in a way that I wasn't expecting. Like I was hoping it feel more akin to the gravitas with which boss and them released the, I told sunset about you documentaries, but it's been a little bit on the silly side. There's talk about them doing a second season and I'm not opposed, but I feel like it's left me in a liminal space with the show. Like I feel like I'm sitting on a, like a train station waiting for the next train to come. What has stuck with me, and I was thinking about this when I listened to the edit, is I'm so glad that we had that whole conversation on forgiveness, because let me tell you, the amount of peace I have had over this show, because I'm not sitting here hating on <laughs> Taeyeon or Yunji all these months later, because they just don't matter. I really like that the show left us with these two driving down a tunnel together and saying whatever is coming next we'll do this together that's so lovely like i feel like where i was with the show at the end of it like it is one of those things that goes in my cataloging of this is a really good piece that i am going to remember and recommend to the youths when they ask me about things that are worth watching from certain places or from certain angles but i don't necessarily find myself yearning for J1 or Jiyun the way I have for other people. It was fun, though, revisiting our absolutely unhinged love for Yunpyo <laughs> when I went back through this. I still love that boy so much. Junpyo, <laughs> the MVP. Everybody needs a friend like him. Everybody. He was a really good friend. I think what stands out for me really about the eighth sense is that the field itself is just so much more crowded now. So much good stuff was airing when this show aired. More good stuff has aired since this show aired. It's not a knock on the eighth sense. It's just that we have such a wide variety of excellent offerings to choose from that I find that you're going to be able to find shows that hit your specific emotional resonances more consistently. Regardless of how good The Eighth Sense is, it didn't fully resonate with the exact weird queer sensibilities I have that would make me put it into one of my heart shows. You know what it is, I think, Ben? I think we're getting older. <laughs> I think this is an intensely useful show. 
I watch these coming of age dramas all the time. I mean, you spoke about it and that still like hits me like a ton of bricks, but that's because it feels like my youth. Whereas I feel oddly both connected and disconnected from the eighth sense. It feels like a youth that I'm familiar with, but not one that I have experienced. We talked about the millennial thing when we were talking about the show and how this feels like that, but it still feels distant from my experience of being a millennial somehow. I think maybe I'm just too old for the show. Like, I can appreciate it for what it is, but I'm too old for it and it doesn't hit the nostalgia buttons that I told Sunset about you and I promised you the moon and shows like that hit. I think this is one for the kids, Ben. I don't think that's bad. What I'll say is I'm really glad that there's room for that now. We've been talking in other spaces about how fandom feels like it's bifurcating too many times now that it feels thinner than it used to be. Like it feels like there used to be a lot more of us around, but I just feel like a big thing at this point is we're not all trying to get some sort of energy from the exact same shows anymore. Right now I'm yelling on Tumblr about a whole show that Nini is just not watching. And I think that's okay because Nini and I are still screaming at each other about at least two or three other shows. And so like, I'm not feeling despondent because Nini, who's one of my best friends in fandom, isn't watching one of the shows that I'm really enjoying right now. It's okay that the eighth sense is the type of coming of age experience that maybe is more suited for the Gen Z types than the millennials. So now that we have fully memento moried ourselves, I think that's a wrap for us. <laughs> it's a really good show, guys. Don't don't get us wrong. Like we're we're being a little bit wistful at the end of this, but I really liked this show. I like I still I stand by everything we said in the original recording. I really like the performances here. I really like the gumption of this entire production. I really like the casting choices. I like the way Ojin Tech and MG Sub really worked together. And sincerely, if they want to do more work with these two guys and reprising these characters, I will be there seated to see what they do next. All right. And with that, we out. Say bye to the people, Ben. Peace. <laughs>